Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello again, and welcome to another delightful episode of the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors. We want to thank our sponsor, Scorpion, who delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms, just like yours, to attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Amicus Attorney, developers of legal practice management software. Let Amicus help you run your practice so you can focus on what you do best, practice law. Visit amicusattorney.com and get started today. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. And if you're the British people, thanks for destroying my 401k. I really appreciate that. I'm your host, Jared Korea, and in addition to casting this pod, I'm the Assistant Director and Senior Law Practice Advisor at the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslomap.org. You can buy my book, Twitter in One Hour for Lawyers, from the American Bar Association, on iTunes, at Amazon, and at White Birch Books in North Conway, New Hampshire. If you're desirous of more podcasting goodness, check out our Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Show, where we'll soon be hosting another Summer of Lunch. Here on the Legal Toolkit, though, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about consumer behavior in the legal field. Our guest today is Mark Jacobson, the Senior Director of Strategic Development and Thought Leadership at Fine Law, where he leads a team focused on the early stage development of products, services, and capabilities to help law firms generate new business opportunities and grow the quality and quantity of their clients. Before joining Fine Law, Mark was a pioneer in the software and web development sectors. He's a regular speaker at industry conferences on such topics as digital marketing strategy, search, web development, project management, online learning, and interactive multimedia applications, and he's an all-around good guy. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jared. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So let's dive in. What we're going to talk about today is a survey that Fine Law conducted in 2015, which it called a Consumer Legal Needs Study. Now, do you want to talk before we get started a little bit about what this study was all about, including its genesis and how it was conducted? Sure. I can give you a little bit of uh, information uh, at a high level on that. So uh, the Consumer Legal Needs Survey is, is something we do every year. We have a consistent set of questions that we we ask a randomly selected group of, of consumers who have had a, a legal matter within the last 12 months. And it, typically, it's a legal matter that they've had or someone in their family has had that they consider either important or very important. And uh, typically, there's around 2,000 respondents. They're 18 years and older. And uh, we screen out anyone who works for a law firm or a marketing services group that does business with law firms. So we get a a pretty clean sample. And uh, the, the purpose of the survey really is to understand 
the mindset, the preferences, the motivations of the legal consumer as they realize they have a legal need and then what they do to solve that legal need. Well, that sounds pretty good. So if this is an annual thing, we may need to do this every year. Well, we'd love to because it's really one of the really interesting things with the survey is is just looking at the trending and seeing how yeah. you know certain things change over time and particularly, you know, in the business that we're in at Fine Law where we do so much work in the digital domain, just watching what happens is more and more of these activities that consumers undertake to find attorneys take place online. Yeah, that's an interesting discussion. Now we'll leave that one for another day. But for now let's talk about the latest survey results. Sure. Now, I I think there's an assumption that most consumers are online looking for free legal services, because I have lawyers at least tell me this all the time. Now, is that really the case based on the survey results? Well, no, I'd say not most. I can give you the results uh, for that particular question you just asked. And and, and essentially, the question we ask consumers is, okay, once you realize you have a legal uh, event that's occurred, you have a legal need of some sort, what action do you take? What is the first action you take in order to address that problem? Mm. 58% uh, actually choose to contact a legal professional. So almost 6 in 10 immediately conclude, hey, I need a lawyer, that's the best way to solve this problem. 21% decide that they're going to handle the situation on their own. Mm-hmm. And uh, that could be because of cost, that could be because uh, maybe they feel like it's a reasonably simple matter, or, or yeah. they could be making a terrible mistake, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, 21% take that route, 20% <laughs> uh, seek help from family and friends for probably similar reasons, and then uh, 19% kind of do what you mentioned, Jared, they, they research free information and resources. So it's only about 20%. Now, the interesting thing about that group is, they're not necessarily not going to go to an attorney. They just need to do a certain amount of research and evaluate their options before they come to an attorney yeah. in a later stage of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think those are encouraging results, really, for lawyers, if only 20% of people are determined to work on their own. That's great. A- absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, most people do realize they need professional help. All right, so that, that's a positive. That's a positive spin. So let's move on and talk about um, the motivations more, a little bit more about motivations that consumers have when they want to talk to a lawyer. So your study, I think, indicates that consumers are less rational than probably most attorneys want to believe they are. So can you talk a little bit about some of the visceral motivations people have that cause them to make a decision to hire a lawyer? Yes, uh, absolutely, and I'll try not to talk about it for too long because this is this oh, is a really fine. this is a really interesting we got time. area. Okay, <laughs> uh, because uh, we've done an entire white paper on this topic. I have a whole hour-long presentation on just this one question you just asked. Um, <laughs> but as you say, Jared, most attorneys do appear, uh, based on the marketing they do, typically to believe that consumers are fairly rational or, or undertake a fairly rational process in deciding yeah. you know, to hire an attorney. And if you, know, if you look at their websites or you look at their brochures or you look at the messaging on their ads, uh, you know, it's clearly think that you know, I'm going to provide a lot of evidence or a lot of credentials or a lot of mm. facts to convince you that I'm the right attorney for you. Uh, yep. But but in fact, what many, many studies have shown, and this is in all kinds of different fields, psychology, sociology, economics, anthropology, studies show that actually humans make these buying decisions or these important decisions more generally 
much more from an emotional place, uh, driven by kind of subconscious impulses that are hard to articulate and, and often are very primitive in origin. They go back to, you know, thousands of years ago. To, to the extent that rationality really enters into the process, it's really almost always more after the fact where we're attempting to justify or rationalize a primarily emotional decision. So um, really sophisticated marketers have, have known this forever. If you think of any of the great marketing that you know you can think of, it's, it tends to be trying to push one of these deep subconscious or emotional buttons. And, and the example that I had given in, in the conference was um, one that we're all very familiar with, Allstate Insurance, where they do not lead their uh, commercials or their advertisements with you know, facts and figures about you know, just how impressive or compelling their insurance policies are, uh, but rather it's you're in good hands. And what they're really appealing to is a basic human need that all human beings have for safety and security. They're sort of pushing that deep emotional buttons. And then they sort of follow that up or reinforce that with the facts and figures. And the point I had made in talking to attorneys is even, even attorneys know this in different settings. When they're really trying to sell an argument to a jury, uh, often they more than anyone realize the power of a really strong emotional appeal. Yeah. And, you know, to me, that kind of came home to me in the 8 million shows we now have out there about O.J. Simpson, <laughs> you know, where, you know, where, where, you know, I mean, you know, that was a clear case where Johnny Cochran and team tapped into kind of that deep emotional reservoir of anger and resentment, uh, yeah. and suspicion that the jury, many members of the jury had over, you know, the LAPD. And, uh, you know, despite a mountain of facts, managed to sway the jury to their side. So uh, it's very, very powerful. And, you know, often these same kind of impulses are motivating consumers when they make a decision about legal services. So we, we've studied this yeah. at Fine Law. We did a whole white paper on it called Why Your Website is Designed to Fail. And in that paper, we identified eight core motivators. Now, I'm not going to talk about all eight today, but the one that we like to focus on because we think it's very much present in sort of the feedback we got from consumers is a basic tendency of humans to really be averse to risk or loss. Uh, humans yeah. don't like to take risks when they can lose a lot. They, they actually fear losing what they have more than they desire to gain more. And when they're faced with a loss, uh, you know, seeking legal help in, in effect is a way to protect themselves, a kind of flight to safety. So what we've always known that from kind of the marketing research standpoint, but what we really wanted to see is does the research, what consumers actually tell us, support that? It actually does very powerfully. If we look at some of the reasons why consumers hire attorneys, some of the things they tell us are, you know, I want to avoid future legal difficulties. In other words, I want to avoid the, the losses associated with, with this matter, or the potential losses. So, or I'm entitled to compensation. In other words, I've had some monetary loss and I want to be made whole, or I, or I don't yeah. want to go to jail. I don't want to lose my freedom. So you sort of see this loss signal again and again. And, and another of the primary reasons consumers say they hire attorneys is because they need competent representation. That's a second most common reason, which is really sort of that flight to safety. And, yeah. you know, what is motivating them. So the, the key point for attorneys to understand is it's not like consumers are doing this rigorous analytical process to decide who to hire. It's much more coming from kind of their gut. And, you know, understanding those impulses and marketing to them can be a very powerful strategy. I appreciate you're keeping that to under an hour. That was good. <laughs> um. <laughs> 
<laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> and and mentioning OJ too. I mean, I have to tell you, I probably watched every hour of OJ Simpson programming. I'm borderline addicted, so people should check that it's, out. It's, uh, it's it's kind of amazing when you when you really uh, you know kind of watch it again. Like, wow, all that really did happen, and that is just bizarre. Oh man, it's fascinating. Um, I think you've answered this question a little bit, but I want to dive into it maybe at a little bit more depth. So, knowing all this that consumers, including consumers of legal goods and legal services, make their choices from a very visceral place. What are some specific things that lawyers do or that you see lawyers doing to sort of promote themselves in line with that consumer response? Well, I think it's sort of following, I mean, if you think of that fear of loss and or aversion to loss and, and, and the risk of loss, if you think about, you know, how would I target that? Um, yeah. You can target that in very distinct ways. And actually, the example that I had shown at at uh, your conference was mm-hmm. um, a DUI landing page. Now, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of DUI attorneys might sell themselves based on you know their experience or the number you know the number of DUIs they've done or yep. you know results or whatever, which you know are all perfectly good things to have on your site. But the example I showed really focused on that fear of loss and, and, and said, mm-hmm. look, if you if you are arrested for a DUI, you can lose all kinds of things. You know, you can lose a lot of money. It's very expensive to get a DUI and mm-hmm. you, know, you need to really manage that to keep costs to a minimum. You can lose your license, your ability to get around. You can lose your pride, your social status. You can lose your job and your ability to, to generate income. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that is really effective marketing for a law firm to kind of target that motivator and just kind of push that button again and again and then Mm -hmm. following up on that again in your content in your imagery position the firm as the solution to the problem the way to to the consumer avoid that loss you know you're kind of now really kind of interacting with the consumer on a very deep and and visceral level to you know to use the word that you'd used before Mm -hmm. and it's extremely powerful and uh, that doesn't mean you don't include your expertise or your credentials, but it, yeah. it, what we do see is those tend to be very powerful appeals that should be part of how the firms market themselves. That's a great, I think most lawyers try to make it a battle of credentials, but you're saying that it's more about human emotions than anything else. So that's a good thing for lawyers to know. Absolutely. Um, now, if we can totally flip the script here and go to another subject entirely, I, I thought this was an interesting piece that came out of your study. The effect of in-app search on modern law firm marketing. I think most lawyers out there are just now mastering like website design and online search. So what do they need to know about consumers' use of apps for finding lawyers? Yes, uh, that's a really interesting area. And I, and I agree, I think most lawyers at law firms are just not um, aware of, of kind of some of the dynamics and, and trends at play. Yeah. So I think we all know that mobile usage is going up dramatically. of our respondents to the survey said they are using a mobile device to to search for attorneys. So mobile is a clear part of the whole dynamic of how the modern consumer looks for an attorney. But the the key thing to understand is you you can't just take the paradigm that everybody's familiar with, which is I go to Google, I enter a search phrase, I get a list of results, I click on it, I go to a law firm website. That is a desktop 
a paradigm, and that is a paradigm that is slowly kind of fading away as Google takes more and more of the kind of shelf space uh, in their search results for their own purposes. Uh, As uh, brand names tend to dominate more and more, uh, it's harder and harder for firms to play that game on the desktop. But then on mobile, it's even harder to play because you have far less shelf space to work with, and Google is nowhere near the dominant player in mobile that it is on the desktop. Mm. 65% of search activity actually takes place outside of Google when it comes to mobile. You know, so it's not the same world where you have this clear domination by Google. In mobile, it's a very different story. And if you ask, where's, where's that other 65% of activity flowing through? Well, it's other search engines. And one of the really interesting data points that we shared is that Yahoo actually is the leading search engine on mobile. Uh, which surprises a lot of people. But I mean, it's Mm -hmm. all because they've done carrier contracts and kind of locked themselves in as a default search uh, engine on on the device. So most people don't even realize the search engine they're using. But the other thing that's happening is the rise of in-app search. So some interesting numbers are uh, in 2015, the last numbers I have, are three hours and 40 minutes a day are spent on mobile by a typical user. 90% of that time is spent in an app, 10% in a browser. So for all intents and purposes, your online time in mobile is almost entirely spent in apps. Mm. So then what you really need to say is, okay, well, how do people use apps? Uh, you know, do we all have you know, a certain number of apps on our phone and, and, or, or tablet and use those equally? Or is there some you know, distribution? Well, as it turns out, we all tend to have a small number of go-to apps. You might have one app you use all the time. Data shows that people's favorite app, they tend to use about half the time. Their second favorite app, they use about 20% of the time. Their third favorite app, about 10% of the time. And then after that, it's a lot of apps, not very much. Mm -hmm. So most of us have a small number of go-to apps. So a really important question then is, okay, in the aggregate, what are those go-to apps? Because (laughs) that's that's where people are all the time in mobile. And if they're there, you know, as a law firm, I should be there. Well, not surprisingly those apps are all in the social arena. Facebook is the most popular social or uh, mobile app. Facebook Messenger is the second most popular and YouTube uh, online video is the third most popular. So, Mm. you know, you have three dominant social uh, services or platforms that are the most used mobile apps. And, and, And the key question then for a law firm is, you know, are you there? How are you positioned in Facebook? Yeah. How are you yeah. positioned in YouTube? Because in particular, millennials, this is more and more where they're experiencing the web uh, is mm-hmm. through mobile and through apps and these specific apps or these particular apps. And, and you know, have you presented yourself effectively there? Or are you still thinking, I have a good desktop website. I've, I've kind of done everything I need to do online. <laughs> and that's just you know, missing out on where the whole world is going. So, yes, how are law firms positioned on Facebook? I would say that the answer in most cases is not at all. So this is good info (laughs) for people to think about. Um, I, however, have a motivation now as well. I'm motivated to take a break. But stick around, everybody. We're going to be back in two shakes for more with Mark Jacobson of Fine Law. These days, law firms need to do more with less. Making this happen requires efficient, cost-effective tools that work the way you do. Available as a desktop or cloud solution, Amicus Attorney Practice Management Software improves the organization of your firm and drives your bottom line. 
Visit amicusattorney.com to discover how you can join the thousands of lawyers who rely on amicus every day to run their practices. Not getting enough cases from the internet or the kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practice. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for their law firm web design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for coming back. We're continuing our look into consumer behavior and legal with Mark Jacobson from Fine Law. All right, Mark, let's get back to your study. Now, within your study, you pinpointed four main things that potential clients are looking for when they search for lawyers. And we've talked a little bit about those. Um, But would you relay those four major ones on the punch list one more time, and then we'll dive into it? Absolutely. So the most important factor to consumers is expertise. 46% of consumers said that was the primary factor they looked at. 37% said recommendations from others. Um, Typically, that we would all think of those as being recommendations from people we know and that we trust, our friends, our family, our co-workers. But uh, another really interesting number we've seen as we've looked into this is that 79% of consumers trust reviews and recommendations they see on a review site. In other words, mm. reviews from strangers as yeah. much as they trust reviews from people that they know. So it just points to the really significant importance and growing importance of these ratings and review sites like um, Yelp, Avo, Lawyers.com, YP.com, and et cetera, et cetera. The third most important factor was trust, establishing a sense that uh, the consumer can trust the law firm and uh, that the firm understands and empathizes with the problem that the consumer has. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth most important is location. Uh, how close you are to where the consumer is located. And in our research, roughly, that's a 20-mile radius. They, they want their law firm to be within 20 miles of where they live. Now, all those lawyers who were logging into Facebook previously, now they're working on their Google review profile. But <laughs> Yes, they should do that too. They're both important <laughs> to do. <laughs> but leaving that aside for a second, I want to take two of those um, pieces that sort of play off of each other, trust and expertise. So we're going to talk about offline communications in a little bit, but let's talk about online. How should lawyers best build trust and expertise online since those are two very important factors in consumers choosing their attorneys? Yes, I'll uh, present a few few ideas on that. Um, so, so first of all, in expertise, I mean, as, as I said, that is the most important area for, for most consumers. So, so it's yeah. critically important. The challenge really arises because almost every law firm, that is sort of their go-to sort of domain to market themselves, you know, all of their credentials, you know, their law school, the courts they practice in front of, their verdicts, et cetera. So, so you don't get a lot of differentiation from that unless your, your expertise and credentials are so far superior to everyone else in the marketplace. So, um, you know, our advice always is to look to other ways to connect with consumers that, that can establish your, your, your expertise in ways that the consumer can relate to better. And we think a good approach to that is answering the common questions that consumers, that prospective clients, that clients ask all of the time. And present those questions in the language of the consumer and present the answer ideally in the language of the consumer, or at least consumer-friendly yeah. language, so that, you know, Consumers can really understand and relate to the answers. And a, and a great 
kind of platform for doing that is a blog or online video, both ways that uh, can help your SEO, can get you a presence in an important social channel we mentioned earlier, YouTube. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's a great way to kind of get impact from your expertise at the consumer level versus just presenting credentials that consumers don't always understand. Yeah. Yeah. As for trust, I'd say the primary thing I'd say there is to reorient how you present your content. We see a common phenomenon on law firm websites and, and other businesses as well, mm-hmm. uh, which that we call wee wee content. And uh, it's, it's <laughs> now. Know, we're, it, do we need to do we need to start censoring this podcast? Or? <laughs> I'm going I'm to try not to get much worse <laughs> than that. But I, I will say, <laughs> law firms should stop wee weeing over their prospective clients so much. Uh, and, and essentially, what wee wee content is is you know. We have done this. We have accomplished that. You know, we we believe this. It's borderline self-aggrandizing, and it's all about the firm. And a much better approach to establish that connection and start building that trust with the consumer through that initial experience that they have with the firm on their website is say all the same things, but talk about how they're in the service of helping the consumer solve their problem. Mm -hmm. All, All of our credentials help you get your problem solved. So yeah. it's, it's just a sort of a reorientation of how you present that information with the consumer as the key sort of and, and focal point versus, you know, the law firm. Well, that's good because I thought you were maybe going to take that in another direction for a second there. I'm feeling good now. <laughs> I was trying to make you a little nervous there. A little, you know, yeah. that's, that's, as, that's, that's, that's as edgy as it gets, so I promise. <laughs> But I think the the idea of video uh, production and blogging are things that attorneys can do, that kind of content marketing stuff they can put together. So that's encouraging. Now, let's talk about another interesting aspect of this survey, which was uh, the speed at which consumers make decisions in 2016, especially about hiring lawyers. And what does that mean in terms of lawyers uh, with respect to their own responsiveness to consumer queries? Yes, that is probably at least for me, was the most interesting finding in the whole survey. Me too, actually. Yeah, I mean, it just it, it's so powerful when you really consider the implications. So what we found is that 58% of consumers take action within one week, and a third of those people take action within one day. So consumers are in a great hurry to get their matter resolved, or at least get on the pathway to getting that matter resolved, you can sort of tie it back to these strong emotional urges that are kind of driving them toward wanting to solve that problem. It's not a kind of a rational sort of uh, exercise going on. It's a very emotional, urgent kind of need to get the problem solved. So when they contact the firm, they almost overwhelmingly choose the fastest method at their disposal, the telephone. 72% of consumers use the phone. So that is the primary way that consumers tell us they want to contact attorneys. You know, email and in-person is about 10% each, and everything else is is very small. And uh, probably the most interesting thing is that 64% of the consumers we talked to said they only contact one attorney. So if you sort of put all the pieces together, they're, you know, they're moving very quickly. They immediately want to find an attorney. They're driven by strong urges. They choose the fastest way of communicating with a firm they can, the telephone. They want someone to be close to them so they don't have to drive a long way to get to them. And they, they look for the first attorney that looks like a good fit with their particular need. And if everything goes right, that's the only attorney they're going to call because 87% of that group said they they hired that one attorney 
that they called. Mm. So to me, what that says is as long as the law firm does everything right, you know, markets effectively, gets in front of these consumers when they have that need, attracts the interest, picks up the phone, answers the phone, has a, have, has a good quality interaction with the consumer, builds trust, establishes empathy, you're almost guaranteed to get that business because the consumer wants to hire that first attorney and does hire that first attorney they call 90% of the time. So uh, it just shows the importance of sort of being very pervasive in your marketing and being very effective at intake with these prospective clients. Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic takeaway. Despite what attorneys understand or don't understand about marketing in general, one thing they can do is be responsive or more responsive. We have time for one more question here. And I thought this was particularly interesting as well. This was another part of the study that I thought was uh, useful to know. Your study indicates that offline referral sources remain the primary way that consumers selected lawyers. So that means, I think, that a modern lawyer has got to be present online and offline. So I think the challenge becomes, how do you balance online marketing versus offline marketing? Do you have any ideas or thoughts about an effective way to do that for a lawyer who's tugged in a million different directions about how to advertise their firm? Yes. Well, absolutely. I, I, I understand and appreciate the challenge that, that lawyers have. We still see that uh, 76% of, um, of consumers prefer to find their attorney through offline sources, as, as you just said, Jared. So, so that continues to be really important. Now, importantly, that dropped from 85% the year before. So there is a clear trend from offline to online even yeah. though offline yeah. is still predominant. Mm -hmm. uh, the point being that, just to reiterate the point you just made, both remain very important. Mm -hmm. One, because it's always been important and still the lion's share of how people want to find an attorney. The other, because it's growing very rapidly. Now, yeah. offline, I think uh, you know, all the things that, that firms have traditionally done remain incredibly important. You know, building a local brand being involved in your community, speaking, connecting with the right organizations, sponsoring the right types of activities, building a robust referral network, those activities will always be fundamental to how you generate business for a law firm. Mm -hmm. The important point, though, is with the increase in online activity, a lot of that is being driven by a lot of this referral activity moving from offline to online. And more of this yeah. referral activity is now happening in social. So the bridge really from offline to online is to make sure that as a law firm and as an attorney, you're moving with sort of the aggregate consumer population into being able to present yourself within social, engage within social, and be present as this activity starts to move from you know, offline, one-on-one -on -one physical interactions to online, one-to-many social interactions. And that when, say, a friend-to-friend -friend recommendations happens in Facebook and say, I'm the person that gets that recommendation, I immediately want to check out that law firm. First thing I'm going to do because I'm in Facebook is look in Facebook. Are you yeah. there? How do you present yeah. yourself? Am I, you know, do I feel good about proceeding with you at that point? And I think a lot of firms kind of miss out at that point because they're not there. And now it's an extra step and more work to do my due diligence, you know, on that law firm. Yeah, so you heard it here. Follow the trends. <laughs> I think that's a I think that's a <laughs> that's a good place to end here. Now Mark, I did a lot of stats here today. So I think you've either frightened or inspired a lot of people today, one or the other. Um, yes. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> not frightened too much. Yes, uh, not, because, uh, because I think there's a lot of opportunity here for 
for firms that are progressive to to really gain an edge, you know, over a lot of uh, a lot of the marketplace. Uh, absolutely, and having the data points to determine where to move is very important, which is why it's great that you guys continue to do this study. Sadly, we've reached the end of another episode of the Legal Toolkit, but don't worry, we'll be back next month. If you're feeling nostalgic, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks again to Mark Jacobson of Find Law for taking the time to drop by the virtual studio to talk to us about consumer behavior. So Mark, now comes the time where you can tell folks how to find out more about you or about Find Law. So have at it. Yes. So if you'd like to learn more about uh, anything I talked about today or a whole wealth of additional information, you can go to lawyermarketing.com slash learn. We have many white papers. We have uh, a very actively uh, updated blog with all kinds of great legal marketing information, playbooks on all kinds of topics, brand, uh, managing reviews and ratings, etc., Go out there. There's all kinds of great stuff that I think you find interesting and very helpful. Awesome. Thanks again, Mark. So everybody get out there and check that website out. And uh, thanks to all of you out there for listening. Except for you, Mookie Wilson. I still hate you. The North remembers. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.